So good morning, everybody. Hearing uh, about everybody's Thanksgiving reminds me of an analogy I use sometime at work. Uh, I'll have somebody come in and maybe they've been elsewhere and got treated for maybe a respiratory infection and they were placed on antibiotics and they're still having symptoms and here it is, you know, a couple weeks later and, and they're still not feeling good and they're like, you know, just, you know, wondering, you know, do I need some more antibiotics? And I say, well, you know, even though the germ is dead, all the, all the lung damage and everything is still there. It takes a while for the body to recover from that. I said, I said it's like company coming to your house. Even when they leave, the house still looks like a wreck. You know, so even, even though the germs are gone, the, uh, the damage is still there. Even though the people are gone, uh, your house may still need some tidying up. So uh, uh, feel free to use that as, as you wish. All right, so we are in um, Ephesians, and uh, last week we started off and made great progress through the first two verses, and we'll be starting up in verse 3 today. And we caught just a glimpse of verse 3 last week where uh, we hear about the different spiritual blessings that we have, and, and Paul, throughout the first chapter, and really through following chapters as well, but especially the first uh 14 or so verses of Ephesians 1, he's talking about all the different spiritual blessings that we have. And last week we looked in depth at the spiritual blessing of grace and God's unmerited favor toward us, uh, something we didn't deserve, don't deserve, but because of his own reasons, he just decided to uh, look upon us with grace and, and give that to us. And today we'll look at another one of the spiritual blessings, and that is that uh, he has chosen us. Uh, he has chosen us to, to be his, and so we're going to develop that concept in the verses today. So let's uh, just jump on in, and, and um, some of these uh, verses will be very obvious to you and, and may not require a lot of uh, unpacking, but uh, some of the things we will get into a bit. So verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. A couple things uh, structurally that um, uh, commentators have, have made a, a good point about that you will start to see uh, starting today and then with the next uh, couple of uh, weeks, and that is uh, these spiritual blessings are given to us because of our position in Christ, but in Paul's prayer, which this passage is an extended prayer, he focuses on the work of each person of the Trinity and their um, uh, their work in administering these blessings to us. Although it's all because of our position in Christ, each person of the Trinity has a special focus. So today's focus is going to be the work on God the Father. And then at the very last part of verse 6, we, we hear about these blessed us in the Beloved. And then verse 7 starts up, in Him, that is in Christ, 
And it goes through and talks about the things that Christ has done. And then later in the chapter, you'll see uh, a special emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit. So just from a structural standpoint, if you wanted to, to mark in your Bible, uh, this is the work of God the Father, then the work of God the Son, and then God the Holy Spirit. So just some structural things in terms of the way that works. I've, I've, I've heard a, a couple of preachers I've, I like to hear preach that, that pray that way. And in their prayers, they'll, they'll address God the Father, they'll address God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I think that's, that's a help uh, to pray because um, God in, in that mystery is, is all of those things to us. All right, so um, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. So a lot of blessing going on in that first uh, verse there, uh, uh, verse 3. So let me just say at the, at the outset, now today we're going to be talking about this topic of uh, God choosing us. Uh, this is a, a theological um, concept, uh, a doctrine of what's called the doctrine of election. In other places in Scripture where uh, this topic comes up, the word elect is used. And this is a, a passage that talks about uh, election. So some of you may, um, uh, may feel uneasy as we talk about this topic. If you feel a little uneasy, if you feel a little tension, if you're not really sure where to come down on, on how you might believe this, then that tells me you are paying attention. Because I think for, for most of us, we feel a little tension as we, as we grapple with these topics. But the big thing to remember is Paul lists us being chosen as a blessing. Okay, It's not designed to be something that's divisive or something that uh, we're going to go fight about with our fellow believers. This is something that's a blessing. And that's the whole big idea is that because we're chosen, this is a reason, if you look um, on down, this is a reason that we can praise God, that we have been chosen. So keep that, if, if I step on anybody's toes or if I, if I am not very uh, elegant in my remarks, it's not on purpose, and, and just keep that in mind because I'm, I'm certainly going to try to pursue um, the tone that, that this is a blessing. Uh, so, so that's a, a little preamble there. Uh, I need to also have, if this is one bookend, that this is a blessing. The other bookend is that uh, latter part of verse 6. It says, or verse 5, I guess. It says, all of this was done according to the purpose of his will, that is God's will, to the praise of his glorious grace. So all of this work that we're going to be talking about for election um, is because this is a way that God can demonstrate his greatness and his glory. Sometimes, and I think this is just our own sinfulness coming out, uh, tinted with the classic uh, Americanism in terms of idealism and entrepreneurship and you know, America's the greatest and so forth, sometimes we can get the impression that God exists for our benefit. And we know that God is gracious to us and he's a loving father and he wants to give good gifts to his children and, and we see God as a benevolent uh, God. 
that he is and that he wants us to pray for things, which we are very good at praying for things. Um, all that's true. But sometimes we can shift into the idea that God exists for our benefit. That is not true. God exists, you could put a period there, but if there's a reason that God exists, he exists for his own glory. And that's the, the greatest thing about God is his own his his own self. Um, God's glory is the main thing. And one of the ways that he demonstrates his glory is by how he deals with us and the things that all through history, all the things that he's done and the way he loves and the way he guides and all of those things are both helpful to us but primarily reflect his greatness and his glory. So, this is a blessing. In some ways, it's about us, but it's mostly all about God. All right? So, what about this whole chosen thing, right? What about this whole chosen thing? Um, This concept of election... Um, if you're going to believe the Bible, you have to believe in election. That's just all there is to it. Uh, and the big idea is that, as it says in verse 4, this is one of those things that some people wish the Bible didn't say what it says, but it says what it says. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. All right, so let's Let's just walk through this. It pretty much says what it says. It was God's intention before the world was ever made. Now think about that. Before the world was ever made, he chose us that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, Those of us that are Christians are Christians because he chose us. Because he chose us. Not because we were choose-worthy, but because he chose us. So there's that other little question, right? So why us? Why not the unchosen? Back to that other bookend, according to the purpose of his will. For his purpose, for his reason, for his glory. When you can't say he chose us without acknowledging the fact that there are some that weren't chosen. So the tension starts already, right? What is it about that that doesn't seem right? Why do we struggle with that? Okay, so there's that. We... It doesn't seem fair, fair, right? It just doesn't seem fair. 
Um, so you kind of have to unpack what do we mean by fairness. Um, ultimately, we wind up kind of where Job wound up, you know, where God says, who are you? I mean, that's ultimately where this lands. I just, just to jump to the end, <laughs> that's, kind of, that's kind of where we wind up, you know, where God says, who are you to say what's fair? You know, we're going to come up with our definition of fairness and then try to apply in our own finiteness, we're going to try to apply our yardstick to a being who is infinite. And not just infinite, but infinitely good. So goodness is what God says it is. Fairness is what God says it is. Uh, we, we can't really judge that, but, but it is true. It, it doesn't seem fair. Um, we're going to get to your point, too. What about this from our perspective, you know, about us choosing to become Christians? We're going to talk about that as well. So uh, just to be clear what we're talking about, God chose us. God chose us. Um, one of the most famous verses in Ephesians, if you just flip over um, one page in my Bible to chapter 2, I guess we could start with verse 4. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And here's the one we know. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. So in other words, we are saved by faith, yes, but we would not even have that faith if it weren't for God in his graciousness giving us the faith by which to believe in the first place. Um, because what was our condition? As it says in verse 5, we were dead. We were dead. We were spiritually dead. There was nothing within us that was inclined to do anything good, especially nothing so good as to interact with God. It's only through that divinely applied faith that we even have the ability to respond to his invitation at all. I got to tell you, this is craziness, right? Um, there's something that um, that's talked about. Um, it's probably worth mentioning. What theologians talk about the order of salvation, and I'll just I'll just list these. Step one: election, God's choice of people to be saved. Number two: the gospel call, the proclaiming of the message of the gospel. Step three, regeneration, that is being born again. Think of the order here. Conversion, faith and repentance is where that is. Justification, where we obtain right legal standing, being adopted into God's family. Sanctification, that ongoing process where we become more Christ-like. Perseverance, that is remaining a Christian until the end. Death, going to be with the Lord, and then 
the final one, glorification, where we receive our resurrected body. Now, the, the point here is that regeneration, conversion, justification, adoption, and the first part of sanctification, that pretty much all happens at the same time-ish when we become Christians. But they list the order here that regeneration, our, we start, God starts to change us just slightly advanced of our faith, and that, again, doesn't feel that way, right? The other thing I should probably make a point as we go through this is that these are topics that have been talked about since the earliest days of Christianity. And there are God-believing people who come down on one side or the other of this topic. What do I mean by that? Where there are people who believe that, that yes, God chose us, but it was because he knew that we were going to become Christians. Um, and folks of this belief, um, well, let me just say this. Uh, you guys are familiar with the, the historically, these are come under the labels of uh, Arminianism. Arminius um, was a theologian back in the day that. Um, basically said, you know, whosoever will may come, it's, you know, it's the free will of choice that is the most important point here. And then Calvin, um, or Calvinism, uh, came back as a rebuttal to Arminius and said, uh, no, um, it's God's sovereignty and God chooses who he chooses. Is, that's really the most important point. Well, you can go to the polar extremes of both of these positions. Um, I think if I, if I had to choose between the two, I'd probably wind up with the Calvinists, which are also called the Reformed folks. But I think if I really was going to be the truest to what the Bible says, I'd have to be in the middle somewhere. Because... The Bible teaches, I believe, that God chooses us and there's nothing of value within us. I believe all that. And that's especially true from his perspective because he's an infinite God. But I, it also teaches that I need to choose. Whether God, and to what extent God is involved with that choice, that's a mystery that I can't unpack. But I, I do think that for every believer that there is a real choice involved at the moment of salvation. Could you get really picky and say, is this an absolutely free choice? Probably not. But again, who are we to say that a divinely Assisted choice is still not a real choice by our, from our standpoint. Again, this is all craziness, but it's good, and it's a blessing, and it's to the glory of God, right? Those are the big ideas. Um, it would be unfair to look at this concept without at least heading over briefly to Romans chapter 8, 
which is where some of the big teaching is and i think it highlights one of the benefits of this point of view you know what about this teaching of election why does god teach it we've talked about one reason or why does the bible teach it one reason is that it's to the glory of god right it is to the glory of god that uh, we um, uh, are chosen but also as we'll see in romans 8 it is God choosing us is a way of, um, it's a comfort to us. It's a, it's a comfort to us. So look in Romans 8, verse 26. We'll start. And again, Paul is talking about benefits toward us and, and ways that God comforts us. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us, for us, with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And then here's this verse that we all know about, right? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. We know that, right? But do we know that the power behind that verse is because God chose us? Look at the very next verse. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The reason that God is able to work all things together for our good is because he's always been working all things together for our good, beginning with our salvation. So if he was caring enough about us before the foundation of the world, this is where the power of this verse comes from. If he had chosen us before the foundation of the world, how small is our God to think that he wouldn't continue to care for us after we're born. Of course he's going to care for us. Of course he has enough divine power and sovereignty to work these things for our good because he's been doing that before history ever started. So of course he's going to continue that. That's why it's a blessing. I should also say that Folks who would argue the more Arminian point of view that says it's mostly free will choice, but um, they would use this verse and say, well, God looked ahead and knew that we were going to choose, and therefore he went back in time, so to speak, and then called those who he knew were going to choose. They would use this verse 29, for whom he foreknew he also predestined, but the mistake in their logic comes from their understanding of the word foreknew. Because this word foreknew is an intimate knowledge. In other words, these are people that he already knew. He had already called them. And once called, they were predestined to become more like Christ. To become conformed to the image of Christ. That's, you know, this verse. 
he who began a good work in us is faith, and we know that part of that's glorification. So yes, to us all the way, and ultimately that will be worked out in our glorification at some future date. But that's a little bit of the error of their logic. Uh, I want to have a little time for questions. Let me just in a couple things. Um, many of our neighbors belong to denominations that um, hold really firmly to one point of view or another. Many of the Reformed um, tradition are our Presbyterian friends, especially our conservative Presbyterian churches, our PCA churches, Orthodox Presbyterian churches, great folks who definitely come from a more Reformed. Probably the, the, the most obvious uh, contrast to that would be um, our Methodists. They don't believe this at all. Okay? Uh, quoting from their, um, from their statement of faith, uh, it says, uh, in our Wesleyan Arminian theology, I'm quoting here, as in all mainstream Christian theology, salvation isn't ours to possess. It is always and only God who saves. Um, it says in that sense, and here we get parsing words here, in that sense we cannot lose salvation, but we can fall away from it. Or to use another metaphor, we can move so far from the saving streams of God's love and power that we parch and spiritually die. So this gets into why is election important, because you'll hear a rather baptistic phrase called once saved, always saved. Have you heard that? The reason that we can believe once saved, always saved is because we believe that ultimately the power and the action of salvation depends on God, not on us. It is consistent logic that our friends and neighbors who are of the Arminian leaning points of view, they are consistent because they believe free will is the most important thing. Denominations also believe you can lose your salvation. That's logical. Those that would hold on more that God does using would have much more, I think, scriptural basis, but also much more security, another one of our blessings, because, as it says, I think, in John, you know, no one can snatch you from my Father's hand. Right? If you're going to be full free will, you would say, uh, no one but me. I could step out of the Father's hand. Almost sounds a little prideful if you think about it that way, right? Um, our Assemblies of God friends, our Free Will Baptist friends, hence the name, Free Will Baptist, right? Um, uh, I think our Nazarene folks um, definitely, you know, elevate this. I think that the thing we have to admit is no matter which side of this you come down on, you're saying that God has to choose something. On the one hand, the more reformed-leaning folks would say, God, in choosing some and not others, is putting his own will and glory above everything else. Because by he could rightly condemn us all, could he not? We are all sinners, we all deserve death, right? And the fact that he punishes some is consistent with the fact that there is justice in the world. The fact that he chooses some 
to put his grace on is a way of showing his glory. So the Reformed view would elevate God's glory. The more Armenian-leaning view would say God chooses to put free will at the top of the list. That God is going to allow man's free will to be the most important thing. Well, given those choices, which seems more godlike? Is God more about his glory or is God more about man's choice? I think it's probably more about the other. Now, sometimes it's not great to be a Southern Baptist. Sometimes we do things that are kind of stupid and in public and, you know, you know sometimes things are that great. This is a place where it's really good to be a Southern Baptist. Because I think, rightly, they, back in the 20-ish, 25, 1925, somewhere in there, as they really worked through the first Baptist faith and message, kind of statement of faith, they purposefully said, you know, we know that there are Christians who are the Reformed persuasion, and we know that there are Christians or Baptists who are of more of the Armenian living, and we're going to try to create enough room to allow both groups to live under our tent, so to speak. So in terms of acceptance, you'll see Southern Baptist churches leaning on both sides of this. I think that's a good thing. Also, in the last 10 to 20 years, there has been a bit of resurgence of more actual Reformed-ish teaching, kind of like I'm doing today, that acknowledges that we probably need to lean a little bit more toward the reform view. Um, not so coincidentally, this view started to rise as the more, you might call it, conservative side of the Southern Baptists started to, to rise up a bit uh, over the last 20 years in accordance with the view of the inerrancy of Scripture. And I don't think it's any accident that as the, the inerrancy of scripture argument took on kind of a, a it became a thing, to use today's parlance, um, I think a little more devotion to doctrine kind of came in with that as well. I keep forgetting I can go to 10. <laughs> I keep forgetting that's awesome. Um, so um, that, that's, that's, that's a good, it's a good thing. Um, there's some, uh, uh, I think within the Southern Baptist Convention, you'll hear more and more uh, talk um, of kind of ref the reformed leanings. So much so that there's a little backlash because some people can, as one Southern Baptist leader said, can be guilty of theological idolatry. In other words, the arguments can be so strong for election that you can get kind of snobby about it and and that's that's not a good thing right that's the thing um, anyway so there's that kind of context within our own denomination and you can go to um, um, there's a Southern Baptist website called founders uh, you can look up like Baptist founders and um, it points out the fact that Southern Baptist roots are very much Reformed leaning, uh, called the extreme of Baptists versus the Sandy Creek. 
And the Charleston stream of, of Baptistic view had, had more of a reformed um, point of view. Uh, you might say the kind of the Presbyterian influence. Uh, Sandy Creek from uh, North Carolina had very much more of a revivalist um, Arminian point of view. And, and again, the decision way back in the day was let's let both of these streams come together. Let's, let's be strengthened by the influence of each other. Okay. Um, some people have wondered uh, as a practical application, well, what does this mean for evangelism? Because some people have taken the view and said, well, if, and again, they simplify the argument. It's not quite this black and white. But they say, well, you know, if it, if it really doesn't matter, your own choice, if God's going to save who he wants to save and condemn who he wants to condemn, then why, why even have missionaries, right? Why, why bother? Well, I would just point to, you know, much of this teaching is Paul's teaching, although it's very much in the gospel, but Paul was all about evangelism. Can we not agree on that? You know, I'll become all men, all things to all men that I might save some. You know, in fact, there's a pretty cool verse in um, 2 Timothy where he puts this concept together. He says, 2 Timothy 2.8, Remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, look, look at this, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with glory. So in other words, he knew there were the elect, but he is enduring everything to get the message out. It's kind of hard to get your head around. The best analogy I had was somebody says, hey, come go fishing with me. I guarantee you, you're going to catch some fish. Right? So people would say, the reason I'm preaching is because I know God has saved some folks or God has chosen some folks and I've got to get them the message. It's a different way of looking at it, right? So when Jesus said, you know, the fields are ripe, the harvest is ready, really meant that. And Paul also says, you know, how can they hear without a preacher? Again, it's all craziness, but it's a blessing that there is a divine graciousness applied toward us that allows us to be saved but then there is a mandate that we've got to share the message. We are commanded to tell, to appeal. Because what's also taught in Scripture is that folks that are not Christians, the responsibility in Scripture is always laid on the person. Romans says, you know, these people who are denying denying, denying, denying all the evidence that are out there, the, the evidences that are there for, for who God is and so forth, what does it say? They are without excuse. It's on them, is the point. You remember Jesus as he, before he got to the cross, and he looked across the city of Jerusalem and said, you know, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I would have gathered you together as a hen gathers her chicks, but 
you would not. They had a choice. So, again, mystery, God stuff. He chose us, but we have to respond. And I can't explain it. We have to teach, we have to preach, we have to share, we have to evangelize, we have to support our missionaries, we have to grow new missionaries, we have to see the mission field in our own backyards. We have to do all of those things. Number one, because God told us to. Number two, because on a human level, on a purely human level, it sure feels like a choice to me. Right? It sure, it sure feels like there was a day when I was rebellious and then there was a day when I chose not to be rebellious anymore. And so I think the proper place is for us to, to just straddle that fence. And if you straddle a fence, it's a little uncomfortable at times, right? Because <laughs> every so often there's a fence post, but we won't go there. Um, but that's, pro- that's God, through his word, he, that's, he teaches both. And the more committed you are to a system, then the more on the fringes you're going to be, the more arrogant you're going to be about your position, and I think you're going to miss it. The more you're willing to say, God, you, you're real, and you say, if, if I choose... It's because of you, and if I don't choose, it's because of me. And if you can get your head around that, that's awesome. Um, so, that's my shot at election. Uh, questions? How do we justify what John says? Which one? Right. Okay, and then John three sixteen, which mm-hmm. everybody knows. Okay. Right. So God said, "The Lord gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish." Right. I'm not arguing. I'm just saying. Yeah. Well, there's I'm the with flip you. side of the coin. I'm with you, but this same person mm-hmm. in John six forty four says. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Right. See, even John couldn't figure it out. <laughs> Here's the thing. They're both true. They're both true. They're both true. I think we forget, and this is the, you know, when you put on glasses, everything you see goes through that lens, Right? If you put on sunglasses, everything looks a little tint to it, but after a while you forget there's a tint to it, right? We forget Christianity is an Eastern religion. It is not a Western religion. Westernness, we like outlines. We like systems. We like bullet points and check boxes and order. Jesus did not use PowerPoint. He used parables. He used story. Because sometimes you can tell things in a story you cannot tell in an outline. 
Christianity is an Eastern religion. There's a lot of mystery there. And where we get into trouble is when we try to put our Western glasses on and dissect it to death. Good question. Anything else? We've got time. Sister, y'all, that oh. is stage three lung cancer. And I can't go right into the week on that. She's Methodist. And we got to talk about death and dying. And we talk about everything during those four days. And I thought, well, do you think we've got to go to heaven, too? Because she's just become a Christian in the last five years. Praise she God. She said, well, I hope. I hope I'm going to heaven. Now I can understand. But she's Methodist. Maybe she's learned a thing. I like this. The good news is we can hope even with a dog, right? <laughs> you know, so you can know. She's a Christian. And then I got home. I got the one I thought. Maybe I didn't ask her a question. I called her phone. We talked about it some more. I asked her, do you believe this, this, this? Yeah, I said, well, you're going to heaven. There you go. Amen. You're going. You're You know, sometimes we think that doctrine doesn't matter. Was did doctrine matter in that conversation? Yes. Absolutely. This is this is practical stuff. But if you don't know where you stand, you'll get confused. Gwen, that was awesome. Perfect. Ken. Anybody else? I don't like tension. <laughs> Love, it. Love it. Very uncomfortable. Love it. One thing Art mentioned a while ago, and, and it's where we come from and all of the influences we have and this idea of rights and this idea of fairness and more recently this idea of political has invaded our theology to, to some degree and and fair you know everything has to be fair the scripture is not fair it's true and it is what it is and uh, and that 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 doesn't sit too well with some people uh, reformed theology is uh, is a big deal in the seminaries today. And like Art says, you can get on either side of the ditch and you need to be in the middle of the road. Right. And uh, so, All right. thank you, honey.